You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Nat, and today I am so excited to welcome Shayla Miller to talk to us about her new art project, beautiful, beautiful book called Tender Noted. Shayla Miller, also known as Freddie June when she sings, was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio by two Southerners named Al and Ruby. At around the age of 10 or 11, Miller discovered quietude, the kind you're sort of pushed into and then was fooled into thinking that this is where she should stay put. Since then, Miller has been trying to find her way out and find her way into an understanding of herself and her history using photography, video, writing, and singing as an aid in this process. She holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in studio from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where she studied photography, film, video, and writing. Thanks so much for joining us, Shayla. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you about this project book beautiful object. Um, Would you like to start us off by reading us a little something from it? Sure. So this is one of the poems that's included in the book, and it's from a time where I had given myself like this writing challenge to write a poem every single day um, within the month. And um, just as a way to kind of understand um, how to access language for how I was feeling and also to, with the hopes of like writing a a essay to go with the video. Um, So this poem is called Untitled in December. My eyes are too big, your mouth is too wide and it's Sunday. Your dad always smells like grease and rose water My dad's sheets always smell like hospital hallways. You like terrible people. I'm a self-proclaimed bad Christian. And we both have been asking, what are love letters really about? So may I ask that you cover me once again in the skin you're in. It's cold. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I was so in like, engaged in this book once I saw it our our buyer who buys all of the things for our arts annex like he gets new things and he showed it to me he was like this is cool you should look at this and I started flipping through it and my first thought was I feel like this is what people hope their projects Mm -hmm. turn out to be like and feel like and look like wow and, and when, I, when I when I get to a lot of them, like I they don't um, and you know different projects hit people in different ways based on your experiences and and your life and the things that have happened to you. But this is such a beautiful piece of work, and and I immediately had I was like I need to talk to her about this. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um it's just so it's so beautifully put together and there's so many different like there's you know like we said photo there's video stills is that what a lot of the like multi-panel pages are exactly 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So for our for our listeners who will have to stop by Skylight to grab a copy, do you mm-hmm. want to tell us a little bit about kind of the construction of it and how you decide, like, for instance, why you decided to take a video and break it down into panels and put it on paper and how kind of the design of this book came to be? Yeah, so um, thankfully I worked with a really lovely designer. Um, Her name is Kyla Arasadia. And um, really with the help of her, I um, was able to figure out what would be the best way to include, because it was really important to include the film works in the book um, because they were the anchor of the whole project. And I wanted to include them in a way that still was able to communicate the sense of motion um, that is just inherent in a moving picture in a a film um, and not just be literal film stills on a page. Um, And so me and Kyla had a lot of conversations about that um, and settled on this, which is common throughout the book of like, especially in the very first film that's introduced, um, the echo, um, it's like this stop motion, like, um, or has the same feeling as a stop motion of, um, stills from when I'm biting into this grape and showing like every step of the way of peeling this grape um, and constructing it in this sort of grid so that you could really get a sense of um, time moving and then also just like my mouth moving. So that, and then also some of the the films some of the stills are just blown up and are taking up the entire spread. And I felt like the, the combination of those two things um, just felt really good in, in terms of like communicating the movement. Um, And so the whole project or impetus was um, with Wendy Subway, I had applied to their open call for manuscripts um, for a different um, project that they do in uh, fall of 2019. And um, I didn't get that one, but they really liked my manuscript. And then they reached out to me in January of 2021, so just last year, um, and said that my work would probably be better suited for this other series that they do called the Document Series, where they're working with artists who are thinking about or working in movement in any kind of way. So performance Mm -hmm. or filmmaking. Um, And so, yeah, it was really important to um, have the film works in the project. And um, this whole series, um, this book uh, comes from this project that I had, or the study that I had started in the spring of 2017, I was um, in an ethnography class as my last semester of undergrad. And um, as a project, we were supposed to do our own ethnographic study. And I decided to um, study the relationship I have with my mother, but specifically focusing on the epigenetics of trauma and how that is realized in our dynamic. 
Um, and so the first couple of assignments were just, you know, standard essays, but I, I really loved working in this way and like um, found a way of, like it was my way of finding personal essay or like the personal essay format, something I'd never really done before. Um, and from there for our final assignment, we had to um, continue the study, but to maybe do something creative or we were really allowed to explore um, outside of just a written essay. And so I decided to do a video essay, which is the echo the very first film that's included in the book. Um, and it was incredibly difficult to make and I felt like I didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, <laughs> but um, the, I really enjoyed the um, outcome. And I also, I had showed it to my mother once it, once it was finished and I got my grade <laughs> and she really enjoyed it too. And I just became so obsessed with um, this way of making and this way of like um, discovering oneself. Um, and so, I mean, I graduated school after that, but then I just wanted to continue the project. And so I was really thinking about how to um, expand um, the practice of like taking field notes, thinking about ethnographic fiction and, and really thinking about how many different ways I could conduct this study um, and really just stretch and pull at the practice of ethnography and um, ethnographic um, art making. Um, and so doing so with poetry, with video, with, with photography, with performance, with creating characters. Um, and for a while it, it felt like a mess. Like I, I felt like I didn't, I like a bit of a dilettante and like, I didn't really know what I was doing and none of it made any sense. And then in January, 2021, um, or really a little bit before that it, was starting to make sense to me um, and all of the um, points started to connect um, between like the photography that is just like, you know, reminiscent of traditional documentary portraiture and then the photography that's maybe more reminiscent of like, or fits within a more contemporary conceptual conversation with the image and text work and relating that back to the performance work and the poetry and the journal. It just all felt like it made sense, but especially to put together in a book. Um, and yeah, then soon after I realized that I got this email from from Wendy Subway and I was like oh perfect <laughs> perfect this is gonna work yeah, out <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then I'd love to hear how you if it was a part of your practice before kind of working on this ethnographic study and the idea of pulling that apart or if it um is something that came about with this project but your your practice of self-portraiture mm -hmm. um is so the ones in the book and then I saw some of the ones on your website as well are just so stunning and they're they're beautiful and again like this 
I've looked through and read through this book a few times because <laughs> I just keep coming back to it. But the, and specifically too, like the way the pictures are either blown up or focused um, on like a certain piece of the photo that may not have been the whole. Um, mm -hmm. But self-portraiture is such a, um, it's such an interesting practice and it means so many different things to different people mm -hmm. and people do it for certain reasons. And um, it seems like it is a main part of your practice or has been mm -hmm. something that you've worked on a lot. And I'd love to hear some more about those choices and, um, and what that practice means to you. Yeah, it really is kind of like the bedrock of my practice. Um, I became interested in photography at a pretty young age. I was like 13 and um, it really started from seeing my sister find this like really clunky digital camera my mom had gotten from her job. They like <laughs> gifted her a printer for working. She worked at this job for like 600 years and then they gave her a printer and the printer came with this digital camera and the camera had a flip out screen and my sister would use it to take pictures for my space and of herself. And I was like, oh, that's fun. I want to do that. And so I did that. And then she also had downloaded like this bootleg Photoshop. And then I started to edit pictures in a way like, you know, adding a blue tint and writing uh -huh. lyrics of whatever song on top of it. And um, I was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly shy um, growing up. And um, because of that, I really only felt comfortable taking pictures of myself um, or my parents. Um, and once I really got like fully, fully invested in photography, my parents got me a camera, um, like a DSLR for my 16th birthday. And um, from there, I just really, really fell deep into this obsession with um, photography photographing um, and documenting, but it was mainly self-portraiture and then portraits of my, my mom and dad. Um, and it was really because that's where I felt most comfortable, but I felt even the most comfort um, exploring with just myself in like either my bedroom or in the basement or where I could really be alone. Um, and um, that really just kind of stuck like I it took me a while to uh, and I still kind of consider myself a shy person in many ways but it, it really was very very like a, a really tenacious hindrance um, when I was growing up um, and so I did grow to love to photograph people in my life once people became a part of my life once I allowed them in <laughs> and had friends um, other than my parents and um, but still to this day I feel most comfortable with self-portraiture and it became incredibly important to me as a way to discover myself in a way that isn't like so um like I, I still am left with questions and and um uh, inquiries, I guess, about who I am and, and still feel like there's so much to discover, but 
there is a kind of comfort that I get from um, self-portraiture um, and a kind of dis- self-discovery. Um, and also, you know, play is very important to me in general. And it's also very, it's very fun to do, um, especially like the image and text works that feel a little bit more like collage. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, it just kind of makes me feel like I, I, um, like I have a, like, it's kind of, um, self-affirming or like self-actualizing the process of um, self-portraiture for me. And um, there's like still room for slippage. It's it's not maybe always so self-actualizing, but it does feel like a way of of like holding myself or um, taking control back of myself, of my image. And then there's a lot of, um, there's more kind of like notes towards the end of the book and there's some of the essays and content throughout as well. But I wanted to to talk about your dad a little bit and Mm -hmm. first say that I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. Um, And what I really, really enjoyed about the parts of this book that were about him were witnessing um, and documenting that grief, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in a time where collectively and a lot of people individually just are not acknowledging Mm -hmm. our grief. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was something so beautiful just about bearing witness to the entire experience and your your practice as a documenter um like and Mm -hmm. a witness um as an artist was such Mm -hmm. a beautiful way to capture that and I and just throughout as well like I love the way that you you speak about your parents in this book and the way you use their their first names is just such a it's such a like personable human um like uh way to acknowledge them um Mm -hmm. which I feel like we don't we don't talk about often um Mm -hmm. and we think like when we talk about our our lineage or our our ancestors and we kind of it they can take on sort of mythic uh Mm. ideas sometimes um and there was just such a like a thread of uh seeing people as human throughout this book and I, mm-hmm. and I loved that so much and thought it was so beautiful. And uh, I would love to hear a little bit about how and why you felt it was important to acknowledge that grief and, and how it helped you maybe through that whole experience of, of losing your dad too. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, yes, my, my father, um, I was very close to him um, and am struggling, but am finding that I still can be in um, the wake of his death or during mourning, grieving. Um, And I'm also very, very close to my mom too. And um, so my father, I mean, he was sick my whole life, like, or from as 
like my earliest memories, I, I remember him being struggling with his health and he was a, a heavy smoker um, and tried to quit when I was young, but then struggled, but then was diagnosed with COPD um, and uh, it developed into lung cancer in his last couple of years. Um, and um, so I knew from a young age, just seeing him get sick and having hospital visits every once in a while that um, it, it was like, I, I just knew in my spirit. Um, I remember being very, very young and being very afraid of it, but knowing deep down that I was going to be young when I lost my dad. Um, and still, you know, it didn't prepare me in any kind of way from, for uh, the pain. Um, pain is extraordinary. Um, but it really, you know, even ahead of his death, my parents were, are so, my upbringing, they are so foundational to me. And um, because in my work, I spend so much time thinking about um, my position in the world as a way to understand everything around me. I then think a lot about my history. So I uh, first will think about my parents. Um, and um, in what ways my relationship to them, my like being brought up by them um, has made me who I am in, in whatever way. And also just thinking about who they are as people and, and um, how um, them as people have, you know, impacted them as, or um, defined them in whatever way as parents or contributed to their way of parenting. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, maybe also through like from a young age, seeing my parents experience pain, humanize them for me, um, especially my, my, my dad struggled more than my mother, but my mother also struggled too, um, or at least for me. You know, I don't want to dismiss whatever pain my mother went through, but um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I do think that there's something about that to like kind of see um, this person who you know, especially when you're very little, you kind of see them. You don't see them as a person; you kind of see them as this figure of like either. For me, it was like this figure who is supposed to protect me, but then also I'm very afraid of sometimes or a lot of the time, but then also adore. And um, yeah, I think seeing them experience pain um, and then also me as a little person who then grew up to be a bigger person and experience pain too. It's like, oh, wow, we, we, you must be like me too because you are also crying or whatever. You know, and a kind of pain, because I, I think that like, you know, children experiencing their parents be angry is common, but there's something else about to witness a, a parent go through pain that has nothing to do with you, illness, um, mm -hmm. or even loss. Like my mother lost a lot of her siblings when I was growing up and then lost her father 
she lost her mother before I was born or maybe when I was a little, little baby. So I don't remember it. But witnessing that also is, is very humanizing to me too, I, I guess. Um, or at least I'm now realizing in this moment. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it just was like, um, really helpful for me to make work and to, to write. I remember like wanting to write as much as I could when my father in his last year, he was going like, it was like a marathon of hospital visits. Um, and I like wanted to write in detail what would happen. Um, and it felt like it was an obsession, but it also kind of felt like, okay, even though these memories are so painful, like I want to be able to like hold on to it because it's like, then I'll never lose them. Even, even though this is like a moment I maybe don't want to remember. Um, and that's also kind of how I felt about taking portraits of them is like, if I take as many as I can, then there's no way I'll ever lose them because I'll always have these things to return to. And kind of, I guess I was like trying to build this armor of protecting myself from grief or mourning, but there's no way. You know, I, I remember having a total breakdown when my father went to the hospital, I think maybe for the fourth time he had, the, he had pneumonia for the second time or maybe first, I, I can't remember. And I just had a total breakdown because it really became clear to me like, oh my, he's not, I don't think he's going to get any better. So I was used to him going to the hospital, maybe staying there for a week and then hopping back and, you know, being back to himself. But it's like, he's not getting any better, it seems like. And I just had a total breakdown because I was like, oh my God, I didn't take enough pictures. I didn't take enough voice recordings. I didn't take enough, I didn't write enough. Like I don't have enough of him with me if so if he does leave then I'm just he'll be gone um and so yeah I, I think that is the primary explanation of why I I really um there's so much about him in in this book and just in my work in general but because it it just was extraordinary it was extraordinary like I, I really I don't even have um probably will never um have enough uh, language um, or the right kind of language to, ex to explain. Um, and I think many people, you know, I've read or listened to things here and there about other people experiencing grief and mourning and know that it's like a common thing, but it, it really is just like um, uh, truly unbelievable. Um, yeah. How and how has that, if it has, um, that sort of breakdown you had thinking that at, at that point realizing you didn't you didn't write down enough, you didn't take enough pictures, has that because I feel that way every every time I talk specifically talk to my dad on the phone. <laughs> I'm like, mm, wait, stay mm -hmm. on the phone a little longer, please. Mm. Um, but ha has that affected um, the way you kind of work now or the way that you, you document things in your relationships with people? Do you still kind of, do you feel that sense of urgency um, even knowing that there may not be something, um, something sort of urgently wrong or that time is, um, that it may not be 
um, like you may not be aware of the fact that time may be more quickly running out for someone that you're in relationship with, but right. do you still feel that sense of urgency kind of about documenting and not just your relationships with people, but this, the same could be said, you know, just for the world around us in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely still feel it with my mother. Um, but honestly, I don't feel it with any, anything else. Um, and I think that it's because I have yet to experience, um, a kind of, uh, love truly, um, like how I experience with my parents. Um, and I probably never will. Cause I, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if, um, it's just a very special and particular and painful and strange relationship to be the child of someone or two people. Um, And, you know, my parents (laughs) are not perfect at all. And my mother loves to remind me of that (laughs) as an excuse. Oh, no, I'm joking. But and that honestly is kind of the thing that really amazes me. I think I was just talking to a friend about this the other day where, um, you know, my, even my, even through their imperfections that, um, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, um, but things that I maybe find so maddening or so disrespectful or whatever, what have you. Um, but I still, they're like the love that I have for them. And I know the love that they have for me. It It's immovable. Um, and um, that is really something else. And um I think very rare and special. Um, And so, yeah, I don't feel the same kind of obsession or urgency to document or to capture things in the same way of um, how I felt about my my parents, Um, because I feel like I have yet to have a relationship with anyone that can um, match up to that. And I'm actually quite okay if I never do. Um, cause I don't really, I don't, I'm not interested in, um, comparing or having something measured. Like I, I'm, I'm okay with having this very special experience of love that continues on forever, I, I believe, mm-hmm. and having that be untouched and over here in my life. And then I experience other people in other ways. Um, So, yeah, it's not to say that I don't love the people that I have in my life. And I do feel um, very lucky and blessed to have many, like, loved ones and, you know, community and um, relationships. Um, But all of my community and relationships with other people are still so young. Like, my, my mom has known me for my whole life. I'm 20 eight and my father knew it's still maybe in other ways getting to know me there's no one else that um knows me in the same way even my you know like 
my siblings. My sister was a child when I was born. And my brother, we didn't grow up together. So it's it's not the same. Um, so, yeah. This, and then, so this project uh, brought together so many different mediums that you work within and that you use as practice. And I'm curious, are there any others that other mediums or different kind of ideas for projects that you haven't tried yet that you're very interested in or looking for? And it may not even be a right now thing, but one day I want to to experiment with this or play with this. Yeah, I definitely want to um, dip my toes into like the traditional film world and make a narrative um, feature film or a, and or a um, like mini series. I'm obsessed with mini series these days. I think <laughs> that they're so fun to think about narrative building in like the like very short episodic um, format. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love to just make in a similar way of um, like ethnographic fiction um, and make a, a feature film and a um, a TV series. I love I love this. I love TV these days. I used to really really love film, and I do, but I've really been tapped into TV this past year or so. And then the the question that I love to ask people is: Is there any um, any work that you're either experiencing right now or taking in that? is really bringing you joy, Someone, uh, someone's work that you wanna uplift or make sure other people know about or check out um, what's been filling you up lately? Yeah, well, actually I just saw on Sunday, I saw Martine Sims, her most recent feature film, um, The African Desperate, um, which, is about her experience in some ways um, going to grad school um, upstate New York. Um, and I've admired Martine ever since I was like 18. Um, and uh, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, like I'm <laughs> trying not to gush so hard, but that I, yeah, I just admire really everything that she does and the way that she thinks about um, the black experience and, and thinking about color and the archive and um, just does. So it's just, everything is just so smart and so funny and so interesting. So Martine Sims um, and then also, um, who else here recently am I thinking of that really has been bringing me uh, or feeding me in a kind of way? Um, hmm. I feel like there's some, uh, well, I've been teaching this um, or co-teaching this workshop with um, my mentor of many years, also met her when I was 18, 18, 19, Heidi Norton. Um, and we're co-teaching this workshop about the artist's way or we're doing the artist's way with a group of people. 
And um, I just yesterday I had the class and um, I have been pulling from um, this collection of uh, like transcripts from um, workshops and lectures that Audre Lorde gave um, from 1984 to I believe 1992 in Europe, mainly in Berlin. And um, another person um, that I've known kind of, you know, um, from a distance, but I've known for a while from SAIC where I went to undergrad, um, Maida um, Rodriguez, she um, edited this collection of um, like uh, transcripts and um, wrote the foreword um, for it. So I've, I've, that has also been feeding me a lot um, in thinking about poetry and thinking about, um, just thinking about so many different things, lesbianism, like so, so on and so forth. Um, and um, who else? I also um, had went to the Metrograph um, which for listeners who aren't based in New York, it's a like independent film theater. And um, I went there for this um, like mini film festival or film programming um, that was uh, about like, I think it was called um, something about paradise or losing paradise, I think is what it was called. Um, and it was, um, the, I only went to one movie and it, the movie is called Salahe. I'm forgetting the, um, filmmaker's name. Um, but it was about this person's, um, uh, she had like, um, collected a lot of footage of her grandmother over the years, like in different, like super eight, like so many different kinds of footage, had a very close relationship with her grandmother. And her grandmother also really loved film and, and filmmaking. Um, and this is all, this is based in Puerto Rico. And so she made, she lost her grandmother um, and she took the footage ahead of her of losing her grandmother and then also footage from her grandmother's funeral um, and um, was just talking about mourning her grandmother and then also mourning um, Puerto Rico um, and it being lost to um, climate change and then also gentrification and other things and um, such a beautiful, beautiful documentary, which I believe is on Vimeo. Um, but I feel I'm upset that I can't remember the filmmaker's name, but it's called Salahe. Salah. Um, we'll try and find and yeah, so, it and we can, we can add it to the show yep. so people can watch. Excellent. Because <laughs> it sounds beautiful. It's so beautiful. And there was a Q&A afterward and filmmaker, she just was so, so generous. And yeah, just, it was beautiful, beautiful. Thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. For all of our listeners, my guest was Shayla Miller, and we were talking about Tender Noted, which you can buy at Skylight Books. And thank you again, Shayla, for uh, your time and your generosity in conversation. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me.
And uh, do you want to tell us, are you working on anything now? We have something to look forward to a next project maybe? Yeah, um, here immediately I'm going to be, uh, for those who are based in New York, I'll be performing on May 14th um, with the artist E. Jane. I'm just singing back up for, for them. And then um, I am working on a new body of work for a solo show um, with Lyles and King um, in Chinatown here in New York in early 2023. So either at the end of January or beginning of February. Um, yeah. Well, we will keep an eye out for that. And in the meantime, again, for all our listeners, if you have not checked out Tender Noted by Shayla Miller, you can grab a copy at Skylight Books. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.